You can turn your Bibles again to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll kind of begin in 1 Timothy 4 and move around a little bit, kind of like we normally do anyway, look at a lot of different places in the Bible, but this is uh, just kind of a standalone question, maybe, or sermon, maybe wrapping up Revelation as we move forward after uh, we spent, boy, it was 94 weeks in Revelation going through that book, and that translates to about two years or so, give or take a couple of weeks with uh, vacations and Christmas and Easter and all of those kinds of things. So it's good to uh, have a transition period where we can understand kind of the church in light of the book of Revelation and the things that it says and all of the wonderful things that we learned. And so now what? And I thought of this question, is this the end? And particularly related to uh, this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that speaks of the later times, and we'll see another passage where Paul warns about things that are to come during the church age and what it will be like in the end and and these sorts of uh, phrases. And so I thought uh, a sermon on whether or not this is the end would be appropriate because there are a lot of competing voices within Christianity that have an answer for that question. Some will say that the times that we are living in are absolutely no different than any other time. Uh, The world has its ups and downs. There are times when, when we are, as a world, if you will, closer to God, and times, obviously, when things uh, seem to go awry. And these kinds of people will have a viewpoint of the book of Revelation. If you'll remember, there's kind of four ways to interpret Revelation, and one of those was a spiritual interpretation where the book is not describing the future. It's not really even describing the past in detail. It's describing both. It's just the cycles of life, just kind of the ups and downs of the way the world is. And I would wholeheartedly disagree with that. If you want a book about the cycles of life from the Bible, I would recommend Ecclesiastes to you. There's a lot of wisdom in that book, and it very definitely describes the cycles of of life as individuals. But that's not what Revelation is about at all. And so I, I would kind of discount people who have a spiritual interpretation of prophecy and the book of Revelation in general and in their opinion about what's going on in the world today. Others will say that we just can't be sure uh, in terms of the book of Revelation. They will be what they will look at Revelation as describing mostly the past from our viewpoint. The technical term is preterists. Uh, there are uh, there was one very famous preterist who was on the radio, if, if there even is such a thing as teaching on, on a radio on your car dial. Does anybody even listen to the car dial radio anymore? I'm not sure. But <laughs> the, 
where you used to tune into your local Christian radio station and you would hear R.C. Sproul talking about the Bible quite often. He was a preterist, believed that the overwhelming majority of the book of Revelation was describing the past, although he had some good things to say about other parts of the Bible. Revelation wasn't one of those. So uh, in these, this, from this viewpoint, current events, ah, you know, don't, don't think too much about current events. Uh, the book of Revelation is not describing the future. We don't have to be looking for these things to happen according to these individuals. So is this the end? Ah, who knows? Maybe, maybe not. We're not, we're not really sure. Uh, and some, of course, will tell us that today is the day that you empty your bank account, you sell your house, you sell everything that you own, and you find a mountaintop, the highest place in your surrounding area. I think that's on Duffield Road in Genesee County. So we all ought to go out on Duffield Road and stand there and wait for Jesus to come again. And for those out in uh, YouTube land, it's not very high <laughs> on Duffield Road. So we may get left behind. I'm not sure. Uh, at any rate, <laughs> there's this kind of feeling that uh, this is it and we have to be ready uh, because the rapture is happening in 2023 and uh, you can buy my book to read about 100 reasons why there's the rapture is going to happen this year. And when it doesn't happen this year, well, gee whiz, I'll just have to write another book. And you can buy that one. I'll tell you more reasons why it could be. So uh, some are more subtle in their, their approach, but have a viewpoint that is, that is similar to that. And a lot of times it's for financial gain, unfortunately. So what are we, what are we to believe. I don't want to give the impression that we always, well, just take the middle road because that's always where the, where the truth is found. Uh, I, I'm not an advocate of that viewpoint all the time. Some, a lot of people are. But the Bible definitely has an answer for us if we are willing to believe what it says. And sometimes Every time, actually, believing what the Bible says takes faith, <laughs> by definition. That's what it means. And faith doesn't, having faith means that you all don't always get an immediate answer. And that's, I'm afraid, what we're, uh, as dispensationalists, can often fall into the trap of wanting an immediate answer and it'll happen. Uh, we'll see it in our lifetimes, or it's going to be. You know, next week and these kinds of these kinds of things. And so as we delve into this, we'll want to uh, look at the text, of course, and and understand the truth of what the scriptures are telling us and how to apply these things to our lives, because the answer isn't always easy. It's not always easy to apply the truths of what we see in Scripture. So is this the end? Are we living in the last days? And here is kind of, here's our, where we're headed. We'll look at three, three, uh, three points. No, we're not living in the end. Yes, we are living in the end. And so what do we do? 
There's a nice uh, middle of the road <laughs> answer for you to our question. The answer is yes and no, uh, just to give it away uh, to begin with. I wanted to, that's how we always answer that question. Well, it's yes and no. Well, today it's no and yes because it fits better. So we'll begin with the no at any rate. Notice 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, but the Spirit explicitly says, this is the only time in the Bible, I think, that this, this kind of phraseology is used to explicitly state the truth. It's interesting. The Spirit explicitly says, in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, Men who forbid marriage. We, we always like to just cut it off at verse 2 when we're thinking about current times. But that's the middle of the sentence, so we have to keep reading. That's why this passage is included in the note. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Notice this first uh, phrase here. After the Spirit explicitly says, In later times, some will fall away from the faith. So, when you go to the various commentaries, the big question will be, well, are these believers or are these unbelievers that Paul is referencing here as people who will fall away from the faith? And personally, I, I think it's pretty clear. I think uh, to fall away from the faith, you have to have been in the faith to begin with. Uh, and so... You can't fall away from something that you don't have. So I think believers are what is being addressed here. And the real question is, are these people losing their salvation when it says that they fall away from the faith? And as, as we have emphasized, particularly in the last couple of weeks of Revelation with the warnings about how to treat Revelation, I think we made the case that our salvation is secure, but nevertheless, clearly something to watch out for is falling away from the faith as a believer. And it is very clear from Scripture that believers can fall into error. And not just from the Bible, but obviously from our own personal experience, I guarantee you every person in this room who's been a Christian for more than, I don't know, a week <laughs> could name someone that probably that they personally know who has fallen away from the faith, who is a person who isn't acting like a Christian, claims that they don't believe anymore, or these, these kinds of ideas that are intimately woven. Not acting like a Christian and saying you don't believe are, are really go hand in hand. Make no, make no mistake about that. And so, from the Scriptures at any rate, Jesus talked about people who fall away from the faith in the parable of the soils uh, that we studied uh, several years ago in Luke. Luke chapter 8 and verse 13, he says uh, of 
one of the soils. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. And so we've studied the, this passage and these, this parable uh, several times in different contexts and come to the conclusion that there is life there. They receive the word with joy. The, the seed germinates and produces some kind of plant. That is indicative of eternal life, having life. But there are two kinds of believers that are uh, distracted by the world, one group, and another group that is kind of led into, this, into sin, distracted by sin, and it ends up that they are not bearing fruit as Christians, as kind of the, as believers, as Christians, is the implication there. They are falling away from the faith, is what is being described. Of course, Timothy, Timothy was warned by Paul earlier in 1 Timothy, Paul says, speaks of, of two people in particular who fell away from the faith. 1 Timothy 1.18, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, and which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Their faith, they have faith. I believe that these two, among these, it goes on, verse 20, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Paul uses some pretty strong language concerning, I believe fully, that these are believers who have erred, who have uh, suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Their ship of faith is sailing along and they crashed on some kind of uh, rocky shore, if you will. And their faith is not having the intended result. In this metaphor that Paul is using, the faith is as a ship that's carrying its cargo or whatever it's doing. It's doing its thing. It wrecks. It can no longer do its thing. James refers to that as a dead faith, a faith that is not accomplishing what it is supposed to accomplish in this life, which is good works. And so when these individuals, uh, in this case, Hymenaeus and Alexander, suffer shipwreck, their faith is no longer accomplishing what it is to accomplish. So there's our first indication that uh, when I say, is this the end, I'm talking about the end, like the, the end of the story. Tribulation is on the horizon. Uh, the rapture is tomorrow. Well, that's the, the implication of our uh, question this morning. Right from the first uh, bit of information about the later times that's mentioned, some falling away from the faith. This is written 2,000 years ago. Our, the answer to our question has to be, at this point anyway, in our investigation, no. Paul has already warned about two individuals who have fallen away from the faith in their time. Jesus warned of believers falling away from the faith. 
And so our, our initial indication is that later times must be referring to something else other than the very, the very end, if you will. Notice also this next phrase, this next characteristic, if you will, of the later times. Uh, that they will be paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, we'll just kind of leave that as it is. Uh, I don't know that there is, notice that there is a plurality there, doctrines of demons. So it's not like a single false teaching is the doctrine of demons. Uh, I would classify that as anything that's going against the scriptures, like the giving of indulgences, for example. That would be a doctrine of demons. Uh, saying that you have to do good works in order to earn your salvation. That would be a doctrine of demons. That's a big one, because that one appeals to every one of us as, as humans. We like to earn things with our works. God tells us that's not the way salvation is. Uh, obviously, deceitful spirits. Uh, and then he, in verse 2, he kind of gives the means by which these things happen. Hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And then notice the characteristic that is mentioned here of the later times. This one particular false teaching, uh, doctrine of demons, deceitful spirits that was, is going to be evident in the later times. Verse 3, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Now there are, speaking of today's times, there are a number, a litany of false teachings that are contained within Christendom. Personally, I have never heard anybody, in at least in an American pulpit, Perhaps I could be proven wrong. Uh, evangelical, let's put it that way, outside of the Catholic Church, who are forbid marriage, for one, and really even abstaining from particular foods. That one, uh, you, may, you may find that. But this idea of forbidding marriage is something that, as of yet, anyway, <laughs> is unheard of within the modern day, kind of to, just to give it a term, the evangelical church. Nobody is teaching that. However, they most certainly did in the second century. Uh, that was one of a, a number of results of what is known as Gnosticism that you may hear of, was this idea of forbidding marriage between a man and a woman. And so... Uh, Gnosticism, what, what in the world is that? You may hear of that being taught, and this is, Gnosticism is one of the reasons why critical scholars will try to say that, that the letters of Paul were written much later than what they actually were. Uh, several books of the Bible, of the New Testament, written much later because they talk about, quote-unquote, Gnosticism, and that wasn't fully formed until the second century. And so these letters and books of the Bible must have been written later than what we claim they are as 
kind of fundamentalist to give ourselves a title. We believe that every book of the New Testament was written in the first century before AD 100, Revelation being the last, the latest book, 95 or 96. Paul's letters written much earlier than that, in the 60s, most of them. And so since he mentions this idea of forbidding marriage, scholars today will look back in history and say, oh, well, nobody was teaching that until the second century. Paul couldn't possibly have known about what was going to happen a hundred years after his death. And so this letter was written by somebody else, just claiming to be Paul, written in the 200s. All of that is just to cast doubt on the Scriptures, that it wasn't actually written by the Apostle Paul, just somebody claiming to be Paul. Well, let's just say for the sake of argument that God inspired Paul to write things about the future and things that would happen in the future under the banner of Christendom. And one of those is... Gnosticism and kind of the ideas of Gnosticism. And one of those areas was the forbidding of marriage. And so just by definition, Paul saying here in 1 Timothy 4.3, men who forbid marriage, and that is equated with something that is evil, that is a doctrine of demons, comes from deceitful spirits, that tells us that marriage is something good. And you can't take away any other conclusion than marriage is good if it is understood in the way it is defined in the Bible as between one man and one woman for one life. That is God's definition for marriage. Nothing that any governor signs or any legislature passes or any king dictates can possibly change what the scriptures say about marriage. In that it is good, it serves a very important purpose, it's between a man and a woman with many, uh, many benefits that go along with it. But these Gnostics, who are these Gnostic people or what did they believe? Well, Gnostic is based on the Greek term gnosis, which is knowledge that these kind of very substantially based in Greek philosophy and that they had some kind of secret knowledge that only they knew, only the, only the well-informed knew, and the, the special group knew the truth, and, and we're pretty much going to hold it to ourselves and just give you little tidbits so that it's mysterious. Only, and if we allow you into our group, then you can learn some of the uh, secrets, if you will. And basically, the, the idea of Gnosticism is, is dualism. You also may hear that the spiritual is, everything that's spiritual is good, and everything that's physical is bad. And you can sort of see why people would fall into this trap, because when we think of spiritual things like the Holy Spirit and heaven and everything that we think about the spirit world, uh, as long as we don't think about Satan and <laughs> demons, the spirit world is good. It's, it's pleasant to us in our, in our thinking. And the physical world, well, just look around. Look around at the physical world. There's death. 
There's disease, there's fires, there's uh, the planet is catching on fire. If you've paid any attention to the news, I mean, it's just a matter of time and we're all going to burn up. Uh, it's not just, it's summertime and it's hot. Uh, no, no, we've got to create a, a problem. At any rate, uh, the physical world has a lot of issues with it. There's a lot of bad in the physical world, so people could be duped into believing this idea of Gnosticism, dualism, spirit is good, uh, physical is bad. Well, that has a lot of very important, that concept has a lot of very important ramifications when it comes to Christianity. Like, for example, was Jesus' physical body was it good or was it bad? If you're a Gnostic, you come to the conclusion that, well, Jesus couldn't have lived in a physical body because everything that's physical is bad. And so Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, didn't really take on human flesh. He didn't really die on the cross for your sins. In fact, we'll come up with all kinds of, of strange ideas like Judas took his place. Actually, it wasn't Jesus on the cross. It was Judas because Jesus couldn't have gone to the cross because he didn't really have a physical body. And eventually the end result of this idea is that Jesus didn't die for your sins if you believe in dualism and Gnosticism. Hence, you are still in your sins. And that obviously is, is a big problem for Christianity and seems to be some of the times what Paul is refuting when he is is writing his letters, uh, particularly to the Corinthians, ensuring them of the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection. It seems as if Paul is fighting against the seeds of Gnosticism even in the first century. And the Gnostics did forbid marriage between a man and a woman. There are kind of two end results of Gnosticism in the world. Asceticism, which is extreme denial of yourself that would fit into not getting married. Uh, if, you are, if you are a man in particular uh, and you are not getting married uh, and you know, you're healthy and these kinds of things, there's, that is extreme asceticism. And going along with that, another potential outcome of Gnosticism is libertinism. Just anything goes. So there's kind of two, two outcomes. Either you kind of shirk the world and everything that is to go along with it, sort of like the monks did in the Middle Ages, where they just go into a room. They don't eat certain foods. They don't, they don't even talk. All they do is sit in their room and, and literally beat themselves and supposedly study the Bible and do chants and things like this. That is extreme asceticism. And libertinism is kind of like the Corinthians in, that we see in First and Second Corinthians that just, well, anything goes. I mean, they're showing up drunk to the church service. They're visiting temple prostitutes. They're doing this. They're doing that. They have uh, some real issues with the understanding of sin and its effects. 
Paul wrote to the Colossians, the Colossian heresy in Colossians 2, 16 through 19. He mentions some of the aspects of this Colossian heresy, one of which is denying certain foods, and, and Paul addresses those things. Again, addressing the seed form of Gnosticism that was already making its way into the church. And so Paul here is warning Timothy and the readers of this letter, perhaps he knew that this letter was, was Scripture as he was writing it. I don't exactly know how that uh, affected Paul's thinking, being under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nobody does, really. Uh, but perhaps he knew that future generations would read this, so he's warning them about things that are, that are right on the horizon. Literally within a hundred years, this, these ideas were going to be making their way into the church. And so he's warning them that times are going to be difficult for you as a Bible believer, Timothy, particularly as a pastor. You, you need to be paying attention to these things. You need to uh, be aware of what is going on. So it is a good thing for us to keep up with ideas that are being spread within the church. Don't just go into our kind of uh, Bible church bubble and don't look at things that are going on around us. We want to be aware because eventually those, those uh, false ideas begin to creep their way into, from various avenues, into the church and can take root and cause real problems. And so, again, boy, the answer seems to be, uh, is the rapture next week? Well, Paul's talking about things that happened in the second century, 1800 years ago. These problems were manifesting themselves. So still, the answer to our question seems to be no. Another concept or another thing that people look to is persecution in the church and seeing that there is persecution going on uh, in the world and then coming to the conclusion that, well, this is, this is it. This is the end. And uh, just not in the too distant past, a, you can uh, go to YouTube or Twitter, I think the video that I saw came from of an individual, the son of a pastor in Canada, speaking to the European Parliament and describing the persecution that is going on in Canada. Again, as we have pointed out, about an hour and a half that way, driving Canada, people being arrested for teaching sermons, for having church services uh, during the COVID craziness. People were pastors, literally arrested because they dared to have a church service. There, there is real, actual persecution going on in the world. What we're experiencing in America uh, kind of <laughs> is very light, to say the least. Not that it could, not that it isn't going to get much worse. Obviously, uh, there is the potential and. I fully believe there will be open persecution of believers in America before long. 
but we have the tendency to think that the end is definitely here, you know, it's next week. If, if somebody goes to, to jail in America because of a sermon they preach, oh, man, this is it. Uh, this, is, this is certainly the end. But as we saw in, revolution, in Revelation, uh, the persecution of believers is going to do nothing but get worse. People in the tribulation times will literally be dying because they won't take a mark on their, on their skin. We, look, we can look back at history, the Reformation period for one, incredible times of persecution, listening to a book about Roger Williams now uh, in the 1600s and in the, the literal torture that people were undergoing during that period of time. Look to Christians in the Middle East today. You can see pictures and videos of, of what's happening there. There certainly is persecution in the world today, but it has been going on throughout the, the church age. The book of Acts, Paul beaten, stoned, imprisoned, uh, over and over in his life, persecuted because of the things of the Lord. Uh, and in fact, he said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus warned the apostles, John 15.20, Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will, all, uh, will keep yours also. Persecution is something that we can expect in this life as believers. So again, I would say that that is not necessarily an indication that we are living in the very end times that uh, if someday I get arrested, that doesn't mean the rapture is tomorrow. Paul says we can expect these things. Acts 14.22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. We can expect persecution in this life, it is not necessarily an indication that we are living uh, at the very end. And apostasy, uh, we already kind of talked about that and falling away from the faith. Again, every time there's some new, new apostasy or new crazy teaching in the church, we may have the tendency to think this is certainly it. But... Jesus, in the, the Matthew 13 parables, and just a, a, the briefest of reminders, Matthew 13 parables, including the soils, the hidden treasure, and these, those kinds of parables. Uh, this one that referencing the, uh, a woman putting leaven into the dough, the, those are describing the intervening period, the period between the two advents of Christ after he leaves, after his first advent, leading up to his second coming to the earth to establish his kingdom on the earth with the focus on establishing the kingdom. That's why he uses kind of kingdom language there. 
Matthew 13, 33. He spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leaven. And there is some dispute among good scholars but, uh, uh, about the meaning of the leaven, but leaven everywhere else in the Bible it's used is always describing sin. So I believe that it is here as well, saying that in the intervening period, sin is going to be working its way into the world through false teaching and false beliefs, apostasy essentially, is going to overtake the world so much so that at the very end, uh, in the tribulation period, people are literally going to worship Satan and take a mark on their body to show their allegiance to Satan himself and Satan's man on the world, in the world, the Antichrist. Paul warned of apostasy that was going to happen in the, the hearers of his words lifetime. In fact, as soon as he leaves, it's going to happen. If you'll remember Acts 20, to the elders of the church in Ephesus, he warned them, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Apostasy is a characteristic of the church age from literally from beginning to end. And it's certainly going to get worse as time goes on. But I'm not sure how much worse it gets than uh, the selling of indulgences, the uh, requirement to do good works in order to have salvation. Uh, how much worse can it be? How much worse can people act than the, than the Corinthians? I, <laughs> I think we're giving them a run for their, run for their money. However, uh, things have been pretty bad in the past, so much so that people were pretending to be Paul and writing letters to churches. Second Timothy two verses one and two speaks of the Thessalonians receiving a letter from a person claiming to be Paul, that he wrote that that he would have written this letter under a pseudonym. Uh, they were claiming to be Paul, but they actually weren't. And this is a good uh, on a bit of a rabbit trail, a good reason to reject every Bible that is, cl uh, every book that is claimed to be written by a person when it actually isn't. And there are a load of them. And people may ask you about them. Hey, what about the Gospel of Thomas? Have you ever heard of that? That says some really interesting things. Or the book of Enoch. Well, what about that one? That talks about this, that, and the other thing. Why shouldn't that? That should be in our Bible. Why isn't that in our Bible? I don't believe the rest of the Bible since you don't have the Gospel of Thomas in there. Uh, well, those books are written by people much different than who they are claiming to be. So the entire book is based on a lie. And so reject that. That's, there's one really good reason why we ought to reject that. Paul warned the Thessalonians about this letter that was written to them under Paul's name, claiming that they were living essentially in the tribulation period. 
and uh, was causing a lot of problems for them because that's contrary to what, obviously, what Paul had taught them. So apostasy, again, in and of itself is not an indication that the rapture is tomorrow. Uh, And so persecution, apostasy, this heresy that we're seeing mentioned there in verse 3, believers falling away from the faith. I mean, have you heard about the number of people that uh, kids of of Christians who aren't going to church anymore? Wow, this it's unprecedented. That is, in and of itself is not an indication that we are living in the end. But guess what? The Bible gives us a lot of indication that we are living in the end. Notice, for one, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, where it says, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. It I read that and think, wow, Paul is describing America in 2023. Uh, Don't pay attention to that last part there. You're not supposed to see that yet. Uh, The times that we are living in are certainly immoral. There is no doubt that our, our society that we are living in today is characterized by every one of those sins that Paul is mentioning here that are in the last days that he says. Realize this, 2 Timothy 3, 1, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Times are certainly getting more and more difficult for us. And I think there's only, it's only going to, to become much worse as we move forward. Obviously, sin has always been around Uh, There's nothing new under the sun, like it says in Ecclesiastes, but our society today, in America in particular, and and really the Western world in general, has always had the sins that are are being pushed to the forefront. Uh, We kid ourselves if we we don't, if we think that that there haven't always been people uh, homosexuals, for one, in, in America or in Western society. Of course there have. Uh, in the book that I'm listening to about Roger Williams mentions King James. Did you know that King James was a, was a homosexual? The guy who uh, advocated for the 1611 King James Bible? Uh, I didn't know that until listening to this book. So those kinds of things have always been around, but uh, that was 400 years ago, and I, if you're anything like me, you didn't know about that. It was hidden. It wasn't uh, out in the open as it is today, and not only is it in the open, but it, it used to be kept in the closet. Now it's out in the open, and we've progressed. We're progressing very quickly from just being kind of, okay, you know, that's fine. What's good for you is fine. 
just leave me alone. <laughs> we are far beyond the just leave me alone point where we are being forced to embrace sin now. Advocate for sin, and if you don't, well, at this point, you just sort of get canceled and have to make an apology uh, later. Uh, I th- I, it's going to get much, much worse. As time moves on, we can be guaranteed of that. Uh, uh, men will be lovers of self. Uh, just look to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram to see it, whether or not we are lovers of self. Lovers of money, uh, obviously, that is true. Boastful, I can one I read boastful and a very prominent person in America today comes to mind. Uh, and I think he's done a lot of great things. Maybe you know who I'm talking about. Arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. All of these kinds of things are just very characteristic of of what is happening in the world today. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 4, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. That is very evident in the world today. Everybody wants to be godly. Everybody talks about God. There's a lot of movies about God, uh, and they have absolutely no foundation of truth in Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is that we know from our study of Revelation that that God is going to judge the world. And God has a precedence of judging societal sin. He did it. We can read about the flood in Genesis 6, judging the world because of the rampant sin that was in the world at that time. Sodom and Gomorrah judged because of their sin. Genesis 19, 13. Make no mistake about that. God judges societal sin. God would judge the societal sin of Israel. He promised them that from the beginning. That was the deal. That's the, that's the bargain with the law. And notice that the law wasn't given to them while they were in Egypt. The law wasn't given before the Passover. Now, God did not meet with Moses before the Passover and say, now, if you will keep these laws, rules and regulations that I am to give you, then I will send the angel of death and he will come through and kill all those Egyptians and their firstborn, but you will be able to escape. He did not do it that way for a very good reason. That is, would not be a picture-perfect example of salvation and the giving of eternal life if God had done it that way. He did it the other way around. He gave them the law after they put the blood on the doorpost, after they professed their faith in God to save them and their firstborn by putting themselves under the blood of the Lamb, then they would be rescued, they would be taken out of Israel, delivered into the promised land. If there is not a more perfect picture for us to see of salvation, the giving of eternal life to people by way of faith in God and his provision for their sin, I don't know what it is. 
So then what do we do with the law? Why did he give them the law before they went into the land? Well, one reason we see in Exodus 20 and verse 20, right after he gives them the Ten Commandments, and they, the people were very afraid of God and the sound of his voice and all of the, the characteristics of seeing and hearing God. It was very frightful to, the, to these people who are recorded in Scripture of actually hearing God, unlike so many people that we hear today who claim to hear from God and have absolutely no fear whatsoever. Exodus 20, 20, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you. And in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. God wanted the same thing from the Israelites that he wants from you as a believer. He wants you to not sin since you have trusted in him. Same thing for the nation of Israel. They trusted in him at the Passover. Now I want you to live in obedience to me, God is saying to them. And that's why he came to them. And uh, furthermore, if you believe in me, Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through about 14 or so, if you believe in me, if you walk in my uh, law, you will have extreme blessing. Unlike any people who have ever lived on this earth, you Israel, my people, God is saying, you will be blessed. Verses 15 through 68 if you do not believe, you will have divine discipline and it will get worse and worse and worse and worse until you are ejected out of the land because you will not walk in my word. You will not have faith. You will be judged, God tells the people of Israel. God will judge societal sin. And, and it can re disobedience can result in physical death of you and your, your children and your people will physically die uh, as a result of your rejection of, of me and my law, God is saying to the Israelites. Uh, not necessarily touching on their their receiving of eternal life. I believe that, that every person who walked out of Egypt with the Israelites was a saved person because they had their faith in God as demonstrated by putting themselves under the blood, saved for eternal life by faith, as Genesis 15, 6 says, that we are saved by faith, and then we are to walk by that same faith. That's essentially the, the message of the Old Testament becomes much more clear in the New Testament. So obey me, be blessed, disobey, and die. Be dispersed from the land as a nation. God will judge uh, sin, societal sin. Future tribulation generation, they are being judged because of societal sin. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 5, verse 3. He says, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this 
you know with certainty. Paul uses a lot of uh, emphatic language to get our attention. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The tribulation generation will be judged because of their sin. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And so Paul here is not warning us that if we engage in any of these sins that we're going to be cast out of the kingdom, lose our salvation, never had our salvation, none of that. He's simply warning them that these activities are the reason why God is going to judge the world. So why you as a believer would participate in that is, has no answer. Do not do these things because this is why judgment is coming on the world. And so, uh, and that goes for all of the, the viceless passages in Galatians, uh, 1 Corinthians, here in Ephesians, all of these kinds of passages that list sins and then say these people are excluded from the kingdom. It's not a warning that you're about to lose your salvation. It's a warning, don't live like this because this is what unbelievers do. So why would you do that? And so when we come to America, is America going to be judged? Uh, yes, <laughs> I believe we, we probably already are. Although America is not Israel, uh, this is not a Second Chronicles 7, you know, oh, if America will just uh, put our faith in God, everything will work out great. I'm not saying that at all, but we will be judged. Make no mistake about it. You can go throughout history. Every society that rejects God on a fundamental level has been or will be judged. There is, and, and the consequences of our sins are just built right into what we are doing. You can see it everywhere. And I think the judgment for a nation that has founded itself upon godly principles like I fully believe America has, unlike really any nation other than Israel in the world. That's why people kind of make that mistake because we are similar to Israel in that we, we, our basis is godly. And so when we reject those godly principles as a nation, stand by for judgment. It will happen. Some of them are just built right in. Uh, for example, in politics, if we take God out of our political thinking, we say that he doesn't exist, then there's no, as we've mentioned in weeks prior, then there's no outside standard for us to uh, order ourselves by, then, um, well, the Constitution doesn't really mean anything. It's a living document. We can interpret it however we want. There's no law. There's no law and order in that case. Leads to revolu revolution uh, and revelation, as a matter of fact, the book of. But uh, we'll have a revolution and we'll just put it under the guise of there's a lot of injustice in the world, so we need new rules and that, that kind of thing. Uh, in the medical field, no God, there's no moral standard, uh, babies aren't humans. We can do away with them. 
People who aren't in their right minds anymore. Well, they're not really thinking. They're not contributing to society anymore. So let's just get rid of them. Let's just kill them. People who can't contribute to society. We'll just get rid of them. In our relationships, no God, no outside standard, no Bible to tell us what a proper relationship is between two human beings uh, as, as far as a marriage relationship goes, uh, then anything goes. If there's no standard, anything can be approved as right. Uh, did you realize that birth outside of marriage in the United States of America is at 40%? 40% of babies that are born in America are outside of marriage. And it's been that way for uh, about 10 years or so, kind of holding steady. Uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, uh, these kinds of things, uh, those are accepted as fine when, when you have rejected God in your society. Saw a headline recently, 40% of Brown University students self-identify as LGBTQ+. 40% of students at Brown University. Speaking of Roger Williams in Rhode Island, Brown, that's where Brown University, oh, how far we have come since a godly man like Roger Williams was a Brown was around. Brown University, 40% LGBTQ. And so it's like this throughout all facets of society. When societies crumble, it's not just the politics or this, that. It is everywhere. It is throughout society. Everything is crumbling in the society. And so it just collapses on itself or it opens itself up to be invaded by somebody else. Rome, of course, being a perfect example of that. So there is an indication that, wow, yeah, the end is close. We, we must be on the precipice of God judging us. And we see this not just in America, it's throughout all of Western society and really uh, spreading throughout the entirety of the world that we see this kind of rejection of God. Furthermore, we have an imminent rapture that must take place uh, before the tribulation begins, as we have studied uh, many times throughout. Uh, and we also know from our preceding weeks that we are living in a time where everything has been accomplished already. That's why God says, or Jesus says, that he is coming quickly throughout Revelation because all of these things have happened that needed to happen before the tribulation begins. This church age is a parenthesis. It can end at any time, and it will end with the rapture of the church, and that can happen at any time. And by definition, according to Jesus' own words, the rapture will happen in such a way that believers will spend time with him in heaven, in the Father's house, before he establishes a kingdom on the earth. It must be that way, according to John 14, 1 through 3, when Jesus introduced the concept of the rapture. Furthermore, uh, 
1 Thessalonians 1.10, the entire book of 1 Thessalonians is written telling the Thessalonians that they will be delivered from the wrath that is to come. The rapture could happen at any moment. Paul expected it to happen in his life, 1 Corinthians 15.51, as well as 1 Thessalonians 4. He mentions the fact that some of you will be caught up uh, and taken to heaven, changed in, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Revelation 3.10b, we know we studied in depth that uh, we are guaranteed to be delivered from this wrath that is to come upon the whole earth, this time of, of difficulty that is going to come upon the whole earth, this hour of testing, as it says, in Revelation 3, promise to the Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia, by extension, a promise to all believers. We uh, have this hope, this scripturally based hope of an imminent rapture that Christ could come for us at any time. Very much evidence that, yes, in fact, we are living in the end time. Furthermore, there are technological advances that are taking place seemingly on a daily basis that drive us to understand that, wow, the things that Revelation talks about can happen, and they can happen today. For example, people to the ability for the world to see two witnesses lying dead in the streets of Jerusalem that we studied about in Revelation. Yes, that in fact can happen uh, today. Uh, we can tune in to the little devices that are, I don't have to be in Jerusalem. I can see it on my phone that I have in my pocket. Uh, Total control of all that is bought and sold. That's already in place in many uh, aspects, but they're actually doing it in countries in Africa, Nigeria being one and Ethiopia being the other. <laughs> I knew there were two of them. Uh, they're taking place. It's already happening, seemingly being tested in Africa as we speak. The world is being prepared to worship the Antichrist through uh, things like COVID shots and these kinds of things that we see. Uh, we also see coming together of nations that's prophesied in Scripture like Russia, Iran, Turkey. We, you can find articles about that on a daily basis. So yes, indeed, we are living at a time where Jesus can come again for us at any moment. We see the, these events that clearly are setting the stage for what we learned about in Revelation. So yes, in that aspect, we are in the end. And so what are we to do? Very quickly, the scriptures tell us. We read it in our scripture reading. 1 Timothy 4.11 Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe until I come. Give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. You cannot possibly read the pastoral letters which I've been doing a lot of recently uh, as we are going to move into our study of Titus next 
the next time I'm here, we'll begin that. You cannot read the pastoral letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, without coming away with the conclusion that pastors and the church ought to be about teaching, learning, and applying the scriptures. Period. That's what the church is here for. And we get the benefit of doing it together, fellowshipping with one another, and loving one another. Paul says to Timothy, until I come, give attention to three things, public reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching, period. Next topic. That's what we are to be doing. Know the truth. The church is to teach the truth. We are to receive the word, James 1, 19 through 25. We won't go through the whole passage, Uh, James essentially is saying we receive the word. It's like a mirror. We look into that mirror. We see who we are. We see who we are in terms of our, the, the, the righteousness that we have by way of faith in Christ. And then if we are forgetful here, we turn around, we leave and we just go and do whatever our wicked heart tells us to do. That's a forgetful hearer. A person who looks into that mirror, remembers what he looks like through the righteousness of Christ, leaves the mirror and goes and acts like what he looks like. That's knowing the truth and applying it to your life. Walking in the truth. This is the number one way that that you want to get believers or get people to believe And then come to church, well, let's start loving one another within the church. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another. Do good deeds. In fact, be zealous for good deeds, Paul tells Titus in light of the fact that you're living in the end. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. He's already done. He's done it all. He accomplished it all. That's already happened. Verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. So stop living in the lawless deeds, essentially is what Paul is saying. And purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That's our purpose. And then Paul caps it off to Titus, the the young pastor. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Notice there's nothing there about programs, nothing about digging wells, nothing about getting the worship band together, nothing along those lines you find in Scripture. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Authority, not because you're a great authority and leader, Titus, but because you stand in the word of God, the truth. That's the authority. And then we apply the word. Paul said to Romans 13, uh, to the Romans in Romans 13, 
11, do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Every time we study the end times and prophecy, it tells us to be godly. Verse 13, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Know the truth, apply it to your life. It's a very simple recipe. It's not always easy to do, but it's a very easy recipe and it's always been that way. Paul isn't threatening them with the loss of salvation. He's telling them that this is the way we ought to live. We need to to exemplify the righteousness that we have in Christ in the way that we live. And we also, even though we're living in times where we can be under deep persecution, people literally jailed right across the, right over the bridge over there, They're literally being jailed because of their faith. A few years ago, pastors were being told by the city of Houston to turn in their sermons. You give me your notes because I know you Christians are talking about homosexuals and this kind of thing, and I don't like it. I don't like you saying that that men can't go into the ladies' bathroom. Uh, You shouldn't be allowed to say that. So give me your notes, and then we're going to take some, uh, our pound of flesh. We don't need to live in fear in these times. First John 4, 4, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. As a believer in Christ, you have his spirit, the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is residing within you and he is greater than anything that this world has to offer. And I'll leave you with this one. Uh, nothing can harm you. Romans 8, 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So is this the end? Uh, No, simply because we don't know when the rapture will take place. And consequently, we don't know when the tribulation will happen. Uh, And so... There has always been heresy. There's always been false teaching. There's always been persecution of Christians. We can expect that throughout our lives whenever we live. Uh, 
So these things in and of themselves do not mean that we are in the end, but clearly, obviously, self-evidently, the stage is being set for the things that we see uh, that will take place in the tribulation. And we know that God will judge societal sin. So yes, we certainly are living in the end. So we want to learn God's word, apply it to our lives and walk in it day by day. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise that you are coming again for us. And may we be found faithful in the meantime, as we have an incredible cloud of witnesses who have gone before us to motivate us to live for you each moment of the day in spite of the circumstances that we face in life. I just pray that your spirit would guide us and direct us in that each moment of the day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.